0: What's up, everybody? Let's find a seat. Excited to be here. Thanks for being here. Uh, If I haven't met you, my name's Micah. Um, I'm excited you're here. If you want to come to Bozeman tomorrow on a ski trip, there's probably a seat for you. Uh, Just come talk to me after. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Maybe. Uh, We are finishing up a three-week series that Andrew started for us called Bible, Community, and Mission. You can think of those words as pillars or foundations here. You're going to hear them talked about a lot, Bible, Community, and Mission. And I have the privilege of preaching on Mission tonight, uh, which got me thinking about that word Mission. Because we use it a lot, right, for a lot of different reasons. Uh, Have you ever, like, as a kid or as a teenager, thought, like, yeah, I'm on a mission, because I've had a lot of missions. Uh, I remember when I was a little kid, my mission was to find the best water fountain in my hometown. Uh, That's how exciting my life was. If you're interested, the best water fountain in Moscow, Idaho is at Eastside Marketplace Mall, like way past the movie theater, which I think closed, and the photography business, which also closed. My mission a little bit later in life, ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, was to impress Laura Kleffner, Uh, Failed three years in a row, Uh, freshman year, tried to play A Whole New World on the guitar for her, last day of school, (laughs) didn't work, Uh, sophomore year, I was her biology lab partner, all of our salamanders died, didn't work, Uh, junior year, tried to play Hey There, Delilah for her on the guitar, didn't work, and senior year, I gave up. (laughs) That's a mission. Uh, We talk about going on mission. That's what we call our short-term mission trips to Albania or Czech, or when I was in college, Oman and Iraq. And at the end of the night, I'm going to try and convince you to go on one of those. Uh, We talk about being on mission uh, in your classrooms on the first day of school here on Thursday nights. Um, But really, when I think about mission, I think about this picture. Afghanistan, 2012, my first deployment. Can you spot me in that picture? The only guy smiling. smiling. Let's put that next picture up, because we (laughs) took ourselves way too seriously. We had a lot of missions, and sometimes those missions were really clear, and sometimes they weren't. So for instance, my very first mission in Afghanistan was to protect that radio tower in this picture. Really clear mission. They said, hey, some people want to blow up that radio tower, go up there and hang out and make sure that doesn't happen. I was like, Roger, I know exactly what to do. Clear, simple mission. A lot of times uh, we needed clarity and we didn't get clarity. And I don't know if I can say this recorded on a microphone, but like here's what my general life was like in Afghanistan. Uh, The last three months of my time there, every single afternoon we'd go on a mission And the only objective, we called it movement to contact. Uh, The goal was to just wander around until somebody shot at you, and then you were allowed to go home. And that was the mission. And sometimes I'd ask, like, hey, where do you want us to go? And they'd be like, we don't care. And I was like, okay. And what are we supposed to do there? And they're like, we also don't care. And I was like, okay, Uh, this doesn't make any sense to me. It can be pretty disheartening and pretty discouraging when you're told to do really hard things and you're not told how to, right? That's true of missions in the army and that's definitely true of the mission of the church as well. Sometimes what we really want is clarity and sometimes what we don't get is clarity. So when we talk about mission, this is what we talk about. This is as clear as it can get, Romans 10. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Now, this is as clear as I can get with mission. Uh, People need to call on the name of the Lord to be saved. And they can only call on him if they believe in him. And they can only believe in him if they hear of him. And they can only hear of him if we tell them about Jesus and they can only be told if we go. That's mission. Our mission is simply to share a message, to get people to the point where they believe and can call on the name of Jesus. And we call that mission the gospel. It's the good news. It's so important we put it on a shirt, and I wore that shirt tonight. Spread the good news. If you want one, I have smalls and extra smalls left. That's it. But this much is clear, our mission is to share the good news. But what that means and how we do that, that's not always as clear. So I want to introduce you tonight to something that you might not have heard about, or maybe if you've been in church a while, it's familiar to you, but um, it's called the kingdom of God. When Jesus comes and he starts preaching, when he starts his mission, here's the very first thing he says, Matthew four seventeen. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The good news that Jesus preached was the good news of the kingdom, his kingdom. So that's what we're talking about when we talk about missions, spreading the good news that the king has come and his kingdom is here. Now, here's the thing. Uh, Jesus is not always clear. Clear. He doesn't always teach clearly and concisely, particularly when it comes to the kingdom. You'll hear this phrase tonight. He says, he who has ears, let him hear. Jesus preaches and teaches in a way that those who really want to understand, those who really want to hear, can dig in and listen and think about it and understand. And those that don't really care can just blow it off. And arguably, Jesus' favorite way to teach was through parables, short stories that teach us a lesson. And we get that, right? Like we all lean in when somebody starts telling a story. And I can usually tell because about 20 minutes into preaching, everybody starts zoning out. But then if you're like, hey, so this one time, and everybody like perks up, like, oh, story, story. And that's why Jesus preaches in stories. We lean in. So that's what I want for you tonight. Even though our mission isn't always clear and concise, the invitation is to lean in and hear. Hear these stories, pick something up from them. Because we're talking about good news. The good news that the king has come and the kingdom is here. We have a great and gracious and redeeming, saving king. And he invites us into his kingdom. And he's got a lot to say about those topics, about what kind of king he is, what his kingdom is like, and what it means to be on mission to spread that news to others. So we're going to learn that tonight, learn a few things about that kingdom through Matthew 13. This guy Matthew uh, recorded all of these parables about the kingdom of heaven, and we're going to do something a little bit different and talk about six or seven of them tonight. So bear with me, all right? Matthew 13, let's start here. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Here's the first thing you need to know about the kingdom. It's the most important thing in your life. In fact, it's the only thing that matters. If you lose everything else in your life, but you gain the kingdom, that's a win. Everything else is a loss. So I want you to look at these two men. Uh, One of them finds hidden treasure, like seemingly by accident. He just stumbles on it in a field, but he immediately knows how important it is, and he sells everything he has to buy that field and gain that treasure. And then there's this other guy who's searching. He knows that he's missing something. He knows that something is wrong. And when he finds it, he recognizes it and sells everything he has and buys it. I want you to hear this again. The kingdom of heaven is the most important thing in your life. It's the only important thing in your life. A little bit before this, Jesus says, what does it gain a man if he gains the whole world but he forfeits his soul? That's the attitude we have here. You could gain everything else you desire in life, but if you don't get this kingdom, you've lost everything that matters. So quick question to ask yourself, what is the most important thing in your life? Is it entertainment and leisure? Is it career or future or relationship? If it's hard to think about, ask yourself, what do you stress about? What are you searching for? Maybe what scares you? Is it failing classes and losing internships? Is it losing a person? Is it failing at the career that you're dreaming about and working some seeming dead-end job for the rest of your life? What you're scared of is a good indicator of what's most important to you. Is the kingdom of God the most important thing to you? Maybe you've been searching for meaning and purpose. Maybe you know that something is off in your life. Maybe you're the guy searching for the great pearl, and I'm telling you, the answer is Jesus. Or maybe you're just stumbling in like the man in the field. You didn't know you were missing anything, but now you hear this message. The kingdom of heaven and the king of this kingdom is the most important thing. It's the only thing that matters. It's worth selling everything you have to get this kingdom. That's the first thing we learn. And here's the second. Jesus put another parable for them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Here's what we see. The kingdom of heaven starts small and grows into something beautiful and unimaginable. And this is good news for all of us who feel small and weak and worthless. So at the time, ancient Israel, 30 AD, a mustard seed was the smallest seed anybody could think of. There's smaller seeds, sure, but nobody knew about them back then. And here's what Jesus is saying. The smallest seed you can think of becomes the largest tree in the garden. And we watched that happen, right? Christianity started with this traveling preacher, Jesus, and a couple dozen of his followers And now it's the largest religion in the world across every continent. And think of churches. Think of churches kind of as like little kingdom outposts surrounded by enemy forces. How do churches usually start? It's one or two or a small group of believers who say, hey, I want to spread the good news of this kingdom. I want to go where there isn't a church and I want to help start one. So that was Mountain View story, right? This guy Tom and his wife, two of them, started this church 30 years ago, and now it's 1,100 people. Mountain View College five years ago was like 20 of us. We graduated twice that last year. Look at where we are now. The kingdom starts small, and it grows big, and you get to be a part of that. In fact, you are an important and integral part of that. You might feel small. You might feel like you don't have much to offer. You might feel like your efforts to love each other and memorize names and start Bible studies and share the gospel isn't going anywhere. That might be really difficult to you. It might feel too small, too unimportant. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, do you know how God works? He uses small people doing small, ordinary things, and he grows his kingdom into the biggest tree in the garden. There's a list of bullet points that I pray through before I preach every single week. And one of them is this, that ordinary pastors preaching decent sermons change the world. You know better than anybody that these are decent sermons at best. But God changes people here. And God uses you the same way. You might think that your life groups, your Bible studies, your gospel presentations are maybe decent at best. But that's how God works. So Here's the question. How do we do this? How does the kingdom grow? How does this small mustard seed grow into the biggest tree in the garden? Great question. There's a parable for that. Let's read. A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Let's keep going. All right. (laughs) Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. You want to know how this kingdom grows? You want to know what your mission is? It's to sow seeds. It's to simply be a seed sower. And it doesn't even matter how well you sow those seeds. It doesn't matter if they fell on rocky soil or good soil or fell on the road and got snatched by the birds. Your mission is the same. It's simply to sow seeds. And if that sounds confusing, that's okay. The disciples didn't know either. And a couple verses later, they say, Hey, Jesus, what do you mean by the seeds and the sowing? And he says a lot, but the very first thing he says is this Matthew 13, verse 19. When anyone hears the words of the kingdom, That's how he describes these seeds. Your mission, my mission is to spread the good news. And what's the good news? The words of the kingdom. Simply talk about the kingdom and talk about the king. Here's the good news. Jesus reigns. The king has come. The kingdom is here and you are invited. And here's what this king is like. Jesus, God himself, came to earth and he came preaching good news and showing what this kingdom is like through miracles and healings and raising people from the dead. And you know what people thought? People thought Jesus came to overthrow Rome. They thought he was gonna ride into the capital and overthrow Caesar and sit down on his throne and declare his kingdom, the new kingdom on earth. And you know what happened? Not that. Here's what happens. The day before Jesus is crucified and killed, he rides into Jerusalem. And there's this whole crowd of people cheering and celebrating Jesus as the king because they think he's about to declare his kingdom and overthrow the rulers. And so this group of people come to Jesus, they come to his followers and they say, hey, we wanna talk to Jesus, we wanna talk to the king. So his disciples go to Jesus and they say, hey, there's this whole group of people, they wanna talk to you. And Jesus answers them with... You guessed it, another parable. Here's what he says. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now that probably didn't make much sense to his followers at the time. And it doesn't really make much sense to us either until we realize that the very next day Jesus dies. Because Jesus is the king, but he didn't come to overthrow Rome. He didn't come to conquer with a sword. He came to die. Jesus is this grain of wheat that falls into the earth and dies. And it's the very night that he says this, that he's illegally arrested, and he's illegally tried in court, and he's tortured and crucified and killed. And the very same people that were celebrating him as king are now celebrating his torture and crucifixion. So here's the question. Why? Why did Jesus, the son of God, the king of the kingdom, die? Because he didn't have to. This is Jesus. This is God himself, the one performing miracles and raising people from the dead, the creator of the world and everything in it. Jesus, the powerful, almighty God. And he allows himself to be arrested, tortured, and killed. Why? There's another parable in Matthew 13 that we skipped over, and it's the hardest part of the night. Matthew 13, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In Jesus' kingdom, there is an in-group and an out-group. There are those who follow Jesus and who are a part of his kingdom, and there are those who don't. And those who don't are separated and judged. And that's hell. The fiery furnace, the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And it's not a place of rehabilitation. It's a place of eternal suffering. Now I know this is the main objection to Christianity nowadays. The idea of a final judgment and a final hell, a separation of those who don't follow God, that's tough to swallow. So let's talk about it, okay? You and I and every single person here were created to live by God and for God. We were meant to live for him and worship him and we choose not to. We choose to live for work or pleasure or achievement or self. We all look for something to give us value. That's meant to be God. You're meant to look to God to give you value and worth and each of us choose to look at something else. And if you've been in churches, you might have heard this before. We all worship something. You're either worshiping God or you're worshiping something else. And whatever that is, I promise you that you're enslaved to it. It's what owns you. It's what controls you. You're enslaved by guilt if you're not living up to the object of your worship. You're enslaved by anger if someone or something keeps you from whatever it is you want You're enslaved by fear of what you ultimately worship and desire is threatened. You're enslaved to ambition if you simply have to have it. The list goes on and on and on. And not only does sin enslave you, but it separates you from God because God is angry towards sin. God is rightfully angry and full of wrath towards evil. And it's the anger of a good father whose children were abused. That's what we're talking about here. And denying hell and refusing to acknowledge God's anger towards sin. That's like denying that anger and wrath towards evil is necessary. That it's a necessary thing for God to be angry towards evil. Otherwise, he wouldn't be good. It's not a good father who isn't angry at the abuse of his children. It's not a good God who isn't rightly angry at the abuse and evil in the world. And sinners will be punished. But here's the good news, right? God doesn't end the story there because if he did, we'd all be damned. We'd all be the bad fish thrown into the furnace because none of us are without sin. None of us are guiltless. All of us have sin. All of us willfully choose to worship something that enslaves us. Either of us either were enslaved to something or currently still are. Enter Jesus, enter the king, 1 Thessalonians 1.10. Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come. Here's the good news, okay? We are saved by God from God. God punishes evil. He wouldn't be a good father if he didn't. And God offers us salvation from his punishment and anger. He wouldn't be a good father if he didn't. Jesus saves us from the wrath to come, from the separation of the nets, And you know how he did it? By dying for us. By willingly choosing to die for us in our place. Jesus didn't simply die on a cross. Lots of people have died on crosses. It's agony, but it's not the agony that Jesus faced. Jesus willingly took on the separation from God that you and I deserve. He willingly sacrificed himself and died. And he did all that for a reason. John chapter 12, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Because of Jesus' death, he bears much fruit. He gains so much life. First his own, because he didn't stay dead. We know that, right? He rose from the dead three days later, and not only does he have new life, but he offers it to us as well. 1 Corinthians 15, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. He's the first seed of many, the first to die, but not the first to come back. He offers life to all of us, life and fruit. And this is the good message. This is the mission. Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come and offers us new life. Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come, and invites us into his kingdom. And this is the treasure in the field. This is the pearl of great value. This is the message that starts small and grows. And these are the words of the kingdom that we sow. Jesus is the king of the kingdom, and he wants you. You're invited. And you know what it takes? It's pretty simple. Matthew 4, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Here's what repentance means. Repentance means a God-empowered change of mind where you simply acknowledge that you are sinful and you deserve God's wrath. Repentance is simply saying what God says is true. He's the one who tells us what's important. He's the one who defines right from wrong. And he's the one who tells us that we are sinners that deserve wrath and need rescue. Repent and believe. Believe in Jesus. Trust that he saves you from God's wrath by dying on a cross. And that he promises you new life because of his resurrection. And you know what you receive when you repent and believe? You receive life, heaven and eternity, yes, but so much more than that. You're given the Holy Spirit, a whole new heart, a whole new life. We call that regeneration, being born again. And you know what that means? Complete and total and supernatural change. A new heart and a new life whose deepest desires is now no longer to sin, but to do the Jesus things. And the promise that following those desires leads to happiness and joy and peace, not just one day in heaven, but now. You get life, you get the Holy Spirit, you get new desires, and you get the church, you get to do that together. Think about this, the church is the best example of what humans can do. That's what God offers us. Better in any business, any organization, any team, this supernatural community where God is present in power, in miracles, and brothers and sisters who love each other and serve each other and sacrifice for each other. What a gift given to you. Believe in the king and you get the king and the kingdom. That's the good news, that's what we share. Repent and believe. New life, new power, new desires, new eternity with God. So, the question for you has anybody ever sat down across the table from you, shared that message, and asked, Will you repent and believe? I know I've had that conversation with dozens of you. I know a lot of you have had that with yourself, but have you ever sat down across from somebody who shares the message and says, Will you repent and believe? Just pretend it's you and me in the room tonight, all right? We're at the table. God loves you. He offers salvation from the wrath to come. Will you repent and believe? And the good news is this isn't simply a message of rescue. It's a message of life. New life, greater life than you have ever lived now and greater life than you could ever imagine in Jesus' eternal, everlasting kingdom. And I know a lot of you are searching. I know a lot of you are like this man searching for the great pearl. You know something's wrong. You know something is missing. You wouldn't be at church if that wasn't true. I'm telling you, the answer is Jesus. He delivers you from the wrath to come. Repent and believe. And maybe you're not searching, maybe you just accidentally wandered in here, but you have treasure, the message of the kingdom. Repent and believe. It's the only thing that matters. Please tonight repent and believe. That simply means acknowledging your sin, owning it, agreeing with God that you're a sinner who deserves his wrath, and believing that Jesus saves you by his death and proves it through his resurrection. And here's my second question tonight Will you sow seeds? Will you spread the words of the kingdom, as Jesus said? Your, message is to sh- or your mission is to share that message. Jesus saves us from the wrath to come, and he invites us into this kingdom, which means our message, our mission, isn't simply to be a good neighbor or to be kind or to be a shoulder to cry on. I know you're going to be all those things. If you have the Holy Spirit, if you have this new life, you're going to do the Jesus things. You're going to be a good neighbor. But here's the mission, Romans 10. People need to call on the name of the Lord to believe, and they can't call on him if they haven't heard of him, and they can't hear if you don't tell them. Will you go? Will you tell? Will you sow seeds? Not everyone is going to listen. Not everyone is going to hear you, but some will. And your small faith, your small seeds, God's going to use that to save people, to save them from the furnace and to grow his kingdom from a small mustard seed into the biggest tree in the garden. Now, that's a slow process. It doesn't always look the way that you might think it wants to work. Sometimes you're sharing the words of the kingdom. Sometimes you're loving well, and it just doesn't seem to click. And that's okay. So let me share a couple stories with you, okay? This is my story of seed sowers. Here's the first. This was my band in middle school. We had a punk band called Awkward Silence, and I was like five years younger from everybody else in the band, there were all these older, cooler kids that hung out at school, starting a band, and they were like, hey, we need a bass player, and I was like, oh, I'll play bass. Bam! New band. And Jesse standing next to me here was like five or six years older than me. And he was a Christian. And I had no car and no money and really wasn't that cool, as you can tell from the water fountain story and the Laura Kleffner story. And Jesse really loved me. And he picked me up all the time and he drove me to band practice and he bought me food and he told me about Jesus and I didn't listen. But there's a seed. Fast forward a little bit. When I was 15, I moved out of my parents' house, and I moved in kind of randomly with these two, Stephen Sandiato, and I'm trying to name my baby Stephen, and I don't know if Julie likes that or not, but he's that important to me because he loved Jesus, and he told me about him a lot, and he really loved me, and I didn't listen, but there's a seat. Fast forward a little bit further. 20 years old, in the army, in Afghanistan, and this hard-looking dude over here was a Christian. He was also in charge of us, which was kind of weird, because out of 30 guys that loved violence and brutality and were kind of okay with war crimes, there was one guy who wasn't. Not funny. (laughs) One guy who lived differently, one guy who told me about Jesus, and this is the summer that it made sense and that I came to faith. This is what we do. We sow seeds and we trust that God is going to bring growth. And you might not see that, but God's using you to grow his kingdom. I've got one more example that I want to share. Uh, The summer after my freshman year, I went to Oman. If you don't know where that is, that's okay. I didn't either. But I taught uh, English in a high school in Oman for the whole summer. I had two three-hour classes with really, really advanced English teachers, or English speakers. They were so good that the curriculum we had didn't work at all, and I tossed that out and had to figure out what we were going to do. Now, I wasn't allowed to preach. I wasn't allowed to share the gospel, uh, so I had to get creative. So that summer, we read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe as a class together. Because I couldn't talk about Jesus, but I could talk about Jesus themes. And we talked about forgiveness and sacrifice and selflessness. And there was one girl in my class who was my favorite student I've ever had, at least in Oman. And she wrote me this letter. And it is probably one of the most important things that I own. Um, Let me read it. Okay, I'm not going to read it. (laughs) There was this girl, Fatma. She was 17 or 18. Um, Girls in that culture don't talk to guys that aren't their brothers or their father. This was probably the only opportunity she'd ever had to talk to somebody. Um, And she was really vibrant and she was really alive. Um, And she had to leave my class a couple of weeks early because she was going Um, to Saudi Arabia, and she wrote me this really nice letter. You can read it later. Um, And I pray for her probably every week for about eight years. And I'm going to continue to pray for her, that she meets Jesus. In the end of this letter, she says, um, I hope I can see you again, but I don't think I will. The only chance that I'm gonna see Vatma again as if she meets Jesus. And I want you to have the same attitude. I want you to be so heartbroken for people that you pray for them for a decade, knowing that you're not gonna see them unless Jesus meets them and saves them. I want you to have the same experience. I want you to spend thousands of your own dollars just for the chance that you might be able to tell somebody about Jesus. And that's what we do here. That's what we do here on campus. That's what we do here on Thursday nights. That's why I want you to go to Czech and Albania this summer, and I wish I had a sign-up sheet. I don't, because we're way behind on everything. But this is what we do. One last parable. At the end of this chapter, Jesus says, have you understood all these things? And they said to him, yes. And Jesus said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. You have treasure. You have the kingdom. Give it away. Sow seeds. Go and tell people that the kingdom has come, that Jesus is risen and reigning and offers you everything here. And there's a challenge here. It's not to sit in your field. It's not to bury your treasure. It's to give it away to people. And I know that's scary. I just started a Bible study in my gym this week, and it's way scarier than doing Bible studies with 18-year-olds. Let me tell you, I finally have like some skin in the game. Because if I start a Bible study with an 18-year-old and you ghost me, that hurts. It's not that big a deal. But now it's my gym, where I go every single day where I'm telling my coaches about Jesus. I know what it's like when they reject you when they stop coming, when the people you see and you love every day don't care to hear your message, do it anyway. I was talking to a student a couple of weeks ago. Um, She said her and her boyfriend were sitting in church. They heard this sermon, and when they left, they realized, I don't think we're Christians. I think we've been faking it. I think we thought we knew this message, and we didn't. So they went back to church the second week and the pastor preached out of Hebrews and the passage says, uh, if today you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart, but respond. And that's our prayer for you tonight as well. If you hear God's voice, if you hear this message of repent and believe and you have ears who hear, don't sit, respond. Jesus saves you from the wrath to come and offers you life that you couldn't imagine. Let's pray. Um, Jesus, we love you. Um, and I just trust that you are growing your kingdom, heart by heart, life by life. Um, and I just pray that you uh, open people's ears to hear your message tonight. Would there be many here that repent and believe and turn to you, Jesus? And I pray that we give our treasure away, that we sow seeds, even when it's difficult, even when we don't want to. And Jesus, would you be kind enough and gracious enough to use us to grow your kingdom? We love you. We trust you. All this in your name. Amen.